Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together here every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, and fiber, and farming, the world's most important industry. Got a slammer of a show for you today. Great guest returns. He was on episode 65. His name is John Newton. He's the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He's an Ohio State PhD, smart dude, and uh, honestly has a lot of great information. We're going to talk about the, the reality of agriculture right now. I'm recording this on May 31st. You, you know, uh, we got we got wind, rain, tornadoes, hail. Uh, I mean, I think the locusts and the frogs are coming. I mean, I'm almost getting biblical out here. I'm not an alarmist. I'm not one of these guys that's like, oh, my God, we're all going to starve. But it does start begging the question, are we going to see a bunch of prevented planting? Are we going to see a bunch of crop insurance claims? Are we going to see a bunch of idle fields? Is it time to start hoarding food? Probably not. But there are going to be some realities of the marketplace. And John Newton is here to tell us all about them. Mr. Professor Newton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I love it when you come on because you always have great information. Agriculture, food production, weather, always has been impacted by the weather. This year more than usual, and everybody likes to pretend this year is an anomaly. You know, oh, boy, this is a hard winter. Oh, boy, I don't remember a spring like this. And, you know, that's just because they get forgetful. The reality is this one has been a bit different because it's taken in such a vast area. I'm in Northeast Indiana. There's not been one agricultural activity that has happened. You can't even move your yard hardly without getting stuck, let alone go out and work in the fields. All of Indiana is off. All of Illinois is off. Uh, Iowa is off. Minnesota is off. Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri. I mean, we've got problems. Ohio, give it to me. What's the, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, I think what, what everybody knows is USDA's crop progress report that, that came out on Tuesday after the holiday showed that as of May 26, we had about 58% uh, of the corn planted. Uh, at the five-year average, we normally got 90% uh, of the corn in the ground. We saw a lot of states that were way behind schedule in terms of acres uh, that remain to be planted. For example, there in Indiana, uh, you're 4.3 million acres of corn that, that – have yet to go in the ground. Uh, Illinois has 7.3 million acres of corn uh, left to plant. This is by far the slowest uh, pace of planting that, that we've seen historically. And it's all related to the flooding that, that really started in, in early March across uh, portions of, of Iowa, Nebraska, and Missouri. And then everybody's been underwater since that point in time. And you're right, no one's had an opportunity to really get out uh, and do any field work because of all the excessive rainfall. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Like I said, I, I, you know, I live in Arizona during the winter and I travel all winter to, you know, from Alberta to, uh, you know, Tennessee to whatever doing my speeches. And then I get back to my farm in Indiana in May and people will say, Oh boy, you, you're lucky you were in Arizona all winter. I'm like, well, I really wasn't. I was in Alberta too. <laughs> uh, they say, Oh, it was a bad winter. There's this thing where everybody likes to pretend that this particular weather event is different than any other. And we know that that's not quite the case, but this one really is different. This one truly is a different kind of season. And, and it is, when I read the pro farmer report that came out May 29th, that said there was 39 million corn intentional, you know, intended for corn acres yet to be planted on May 29th. And when you still see what the weather is doing four five, six days out, meaning, okay, it's going to be first week of June if those acres actually happen. So this is an anomaly. What's it going to do? What's the, what's the reality? What does it mean? 
I think one of the things that means, you know, A, a lot of folks are, are really focused on uh, the, the amount of acres that, that remain to be planted uh, across corn and soybeans. We've still got to put 100 million acres uh, in the ground over the next few weeks in order to get to uh, the prevent plant no, or the, the prospective planting numbers. Uh, and I think what a lot of folks are looking at is A, how many acres remain to be planted? What's the implications on prevent plant? We're likely to see record high prevented plant uh, this year. And then also people are thinking about uh, the trade aid assistance that was announced because it does require uh, planting in 2019. And then people also have their eye on, on a potential disaster bill. So uh, it's, it's not a, a you know, a one decision point, it's a multiple point decision tree. Uh, and then people are also thinking about what's this gonna do to supplies and prices of commodities. Uh, so th this really has a, a black swan weather event that has added a whole lot of uncertainty to US markets when we were already facing a considerable amount of uncertainty due to trade. Okay, so the adjustments are, are key to this whole entire thing. So if I'm an operator out here, you know, I'm a farm owner operator, uh, and I've got my I've got my decisions to make. First off, you're up against the clock here. It's May 31st as we're recording this. This podcast is going to be going out the first week of June, and if I'm looking at my decisions, I say, all right. I might just take preventive planting and get my 85% or 80% or whatever that I have insured for. And my farm friends tell me crop insurance at least breaks you even. That's the idea. Just insure yourself to get your cash rent paid and all your fixed expenses, et cetera, et cetera. But if I take that, I can't now get this new M M MFP money that's going to be uh, going on. Well, the, the way the prevent plant works on crop insurance is, is for corn uh, this year, you would get 80 or 55% of, of the of the guarantee. So if you had uh, 200 uh, bushels per acre at $4 corn it, it covered at 80%, you'd get 55% of that. And so- Wait, 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 wait. On the insurance, I still get my 80% on insurance. No, no, you don't. Not if you take prevent plant. Oh. So if you take prevent plant, you take let's let's do the math real quick. Four four dollar corn was the spring price. Two hundred bushel an acre. We're at eight hundred bucks. Eight eighty percent coverage. We're at seven twenty. Yep. Multiply that by fifty five percent, and that's your prevented plant payment. Okay, so <clears throat> still probably is enough to at least break you even. And if I take preventive planting, can I get this new $16 billion that uh, Trump and Sonny Purdue and every other ag person they could put in the background for the photo ops, <laughs> $16 billion, it's going to be kind of an MFP, right? It was the, you know, they called it the margin uh, market uh, facilitation program. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, just as, as a side note, the, the folks in the background were American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall and Texas Farm Bureau President Russell Banning, and we also had California Farm Bureau President uh, right there in the back. But you're exactly right. One of the things that they did say- Hey, wait, hey, why was it picking? I thought it was funny. I thought this was like a who's who of, of American agricultural policy. I saw cowboy hats and shepherd and, and shepherd yokes and everything else. I'm like, okay. It's almost like they, they choreographed it. Like you're going to be the sheep guy. You're the beef guy. You're the farm bureau guy. Oh, you, you're the soybean guy. They did everything but have them like holding, holding their commodity. Like I thought there's going to be a guy holding a milk jug, a guy, <laughs> but we the, our milk jug in the office, but it, it was a, there were a lot of farm bureau members in the room. 
Yeah, well, they uh, they got a little bit in the weeds where Trump then started talking about Nancy Pelosi at this announcement. I thought it would have been more succinct if they just said, here's what the program. So that $16 billion is going to be rolled out. And in the fall, John, when they did the thing, they said, okay, you get a dollar sixty-two for every bushel of soybeans that your history says. And then like 10 cents on corn or three cents. It was very little on corn. Can I still, if I'm an operator, can I still get my MFP money uh, if I if I do preventive planning? So the, so when they made the announcement uh, last last Thursday on the trade package, they said that it's, it's only eligible for uh, what you plant in 2019. The, the inference from that being uh, prevent plant wouldn't be eligible to receive a, a trade aid payment. And, and we immediately took, uh, at Farm Bureau, we, we took issue with that because the crop insurance prices that we have this year, the guarantees that we got, especially on soybeans uh, at, at a little over $9.50, that was a depressed price due to the trade war. So if your spring price is depressed, therefore your prevented plant payment is depressed due to the trade war, we think that prevent plant should also uh, be eligible for some sort of trade assistance uh, under the MFP package. And, and I think the secretary is starting to realize that in his travels around the country, as he said yesterday, that he may need, he may need to reconsider that. And we sent a letter uh, to, to the secretary on that very issue that uh, identifying the, the damage to uh, crop insurance due to the trade war and, and the need for prevent plan to include some, some trade assistance payments. Okay, so then uh, are we, we don't know. So that now we've got, you talk about a decision tree for these operators, uh, you know, they've got to figure out, do I take this? Do I do this? Do I do this? And then I got the weather and then I've got my inputs and some of them already bought and some of them will. Now they don't really know how to navigate the government trade aid package. And I think that the, what the secretary wants folks to do is, is make a business decision independent of uh, what kind of trade payments they may receive or any potential disaster benefits uh, that may be issued after the House passes a disaster bill and just try to plant the crop. And, and that's what their goal was when they were trying to build this program, making it a county level payment rate. Uh, the problem is, and as we touched on earlier, this is a, this is a, a year unlike any we've ever experienced in terms of planning delays. Uh, if the, if the department would have announced their trade aid package when we were 90% planted on corn and 70% planted on beans, it wouldn't make much of a difference, but we're not, we're, we're, you know, in total corn and soybeans, we're less than half of the crop is in the ground, 48% to be exact. So now those payments on disaster aid and trade aid are impacting planting decisions, even though the administration didn't want them to. Yeah, they are. So what shifts are, I mean, what are we going to see? Uh, Graham, we can talk about the weather. And right now I'm looking out my Indiana window and the sun is shining. And I walked around with my dog this morning and I can say, oh, great, the sun's out. You know what else? It still is squishy. Uh, you know, we need four days minimum more, five days minimum, probably before, you know, you get some high ground that's well-drained, you might be able to get in, but we're talking about still three, four, five a week, who knows? And then there's rain in the forecast. What do you see? What do you see happening? Well, you know, we, we talked about all the economic decisions that need to be made with respect to prevent plant and trade aid and disaster aid. Uh, but you, the first thing you need, and like you said, you need mother nature to give you a window to get out there. So, even if the economics work for you to get out and plant, and we've seen the futures markets uh, really accelerate on corn, trying to incentivize uh, growers to put a crop in the ground. If Mother Nature doesn't cooperate, you know, you're looking at muddy fields. Uh, you could have 
you know, even more damage on your hand uh, if, if you try to get out there and plant and the weather doesn't cooperate. And then add into the fact that folks that got a crop in the ground, that crop's been growing uh, in some pretty sloppy conditions. Yeah, well, there's there's none of that that's happening. I mean, I, yeah, we've had the years before where everything got planted and then you had, uh, you know, temperatures in the 30s and wet, and then you've got the issue of replanting. From my understanding, there's a lot of stuff that that's not even an issue. They didn't even get in the first time. Uh, so we're seeing a shift. <clears throat> Soybeans have got more of a time window. Do you see corn? Okay, instead of 92 million acres of corn this year, do we end up with down in like 75, 80? I think 75 would, would, would be a, a stretch. I think if we, if we planted 75 million acres uh, or harvested 75 million acres of corn and then you take into consideration, uh, you know, our, our use and our stock levels, we could, we could be in uh, pretty low stocks to use levels uh, at the end of next year. I, I'm still of the opinion that, that maybe we harvest uh, somewhere around 80 to 85 million acres. So that, that push in the, uh, six to 10 million acres of, of prevent plant on corn. I, I still think we're going to be able to get some more crop in the ground over the next, uh, you know, few, few days, I believe across the corn belt, uh, their final planting date for crop insurance. Uh, they still have about five days left. Uh, do you, you know what it would do? It would do wonders. There's two, uh, I read the, uh, the stats from April, I guess hasn't changed too much, 2 billion bushels of carryover. So that's about what, uh, 14% of our production, if I'm not mistaken here, uh, 2 billion out of uh, a 14 billion bushel harvest last year. So you, you do the math for me there, but, uh, the, you're the economist, but if we have, yeah, two divided by fourteen. We're talking fourteen percent yeah, of our crop. We will not end up with fourteen percent carryover uh, at this time next year because we're gonna we're gonna seriously, uh, you know, be hindered on our production. We could end up with six percent carry out next year, and that 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 puts you into uh, potential rationing of supplies, and, and that you know that creates a lot of uncertainty. You've got guys that need to feed livestock. You got ethanol plants that need to run. Uh, oh, by the way, we still want to be a player in the export market. So uh, it, it gets it gets to be, uh, you know, pretty low inventory levels in a hurry uh, if we can't get this crop in the ground. Do we see $5 corn? I think, you know, I think two weeks ago uh, the, the funds were record short uh, in the market, which meant they were pretty bearish uh, on corn. People were looking at the amount of corn that farmers had uh, stored in bins on their farm thinking, all right, we've got a lot of corn still left to come to market. The pace of exports were slowing down. So the funds were short, massively short. And, and now all of a sudden they're looking at a position of being upside down in those positions. So I think you've seen some, some buying and that's lifted corn prices by about a dollar in a two week period. Uh, but, but could corn go to five or, or maybe even $6? I think if we end up in a scenario where we're harvesting 75 million acres of, of a the low trend yield crop, uh, $6 corn's not, not out of the realm of possibility. I think there's probably people listening right now that are just, they just jumped out of their seat and they're running around doing the happy dance over the prospect of $6 corn. <laughs> so talk to me about exports. That's the, the other biggie. Uh, Trump just said uh, he's going to slap tariffs on Mexico because they are not cooperating on getting the illegal immigration uh, border problems fixed. They are our number two agricultural customer. Some people don't probably realize that. They always hear China, 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 China. Canada and Mexico are our number one and two uh, agricultural trading partners. We send corn, poultry, pork. Uh, a lot of, uh, of our ag stuff goes south of the border. 
What's going to happen? Well, I think you look at what, what has been happening. When we put 232 tariffs on Canada and Mexico on steel, uh, the, the Mexican government retaliated by putting tariffs on a number of our agricultural products, uh, ham, uh, pork, uh, dairy products like cheese. Uh, and, and in this situation, you could see, uh, you know, that they could do something very similar again. I, I highly doubt that they'll just uh, comply with tariffs on all of their commodities coming into the U.S. or all their products coming into the U.S. And those tariffs start at 5% and will escalate to as much as 25% uh, by October. So I, I don't think that they'll, they'll stand idly uh, by. And, and this, is a, this is a pretty massive blow when you consider yesterday at, you know, at 5 p.m. Eastern, we were celebrating uh, the administration sending uh, the notice of administrative action up to Congress on USMCA so folks were happy, and then you know, kind of the wind gets sucks out of you when uh, another round of tariffs are, are announced. And agriculture, we've been dealing with this now for for over a year. Whether it's 232 steel and aluminum, whether it's washing machines, solar panels, whether it's issues with China, and even uh, in the future, uh, issues on autos with the Europeans. Uh, it seems to be that we're we're in a situation where we retaliate and then negotiate. Well, it's my opinion that we're actually going to the USMCA. If that doesn't get passed, that's because Congress is uh, wanting to flex their muscle and punish Trump. But that deal was was about to happen. I think it still will happen. I don't see these tariffs with Mexico actually being a reality. Do you? You know, I, I think over the, the last two years, um, when the president says he's going to do something, he's done it. And so I, I'm not going to discount when he says that beginning, you know, tomorrow a five percent tariff, uh, jumping to ten percent in July, fifteen percent in August, et cetera, if he says he's going to do something, I, I, I don't, I don't doubt it because he's followed through on, on just about everything that he said he's going to do uh, to that end. I think we as agriculture uh, can, you know, have to continue to work with our our customers and our partners. Uh, in Mexico, continue to demonstrate we're a reliable trading partner. That's what we did during the two thirty two. Uh, you know, our, our, our sellers of cheese products work with the Mexican buyers uh, to split that tariff so that, so that not, not everybody was eating it individually, and we may have to do the same here. So we, uh, we need the deal to happen with Mexico and, and with Canada, uh, and we'll see what happens. And the impact is pretty great on us. We still don't know the details of the $16 billion MFP. I mean, honestly, we don't know anything, right? I, I've, I've looked, I've tried to, I, my brother works for the USDA. I've said, what's, what's the story? And, and that's crickets. I don't know. Yeah. I think they've been, they, you know, mom's the word. There were rumors, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago that it'd be uh, per payment per bushel, $2 on beans, et cetera. Uh, but that, that the rumors of that started to distort planting uh, intentions. And so the department, I think in my personal opinion, maybe went back to the drawing board and said, Hey, uh, let's try to figure out something that doesn't distort planning intentions. And so they, they said that they're going to do a county level payment rate uh, that reflects the damage from trade and that you'll be paid based on uh, planted acres. We have a number of, of concerns there. And, and again, we've sent those concerns uh, to the department, uh, but think that, you know, one of the things that they need to make sure they do is, is preserve the equity of this. When you make a payment on a county level, uh, you can have farmers across the street from each other getting totally different government payments because they're uh, separated by a county line. And I think that's real important to make sure there's equity, uh, make sure all the commodities damaged by trade are covered, 
that includes fruits and vegetables. Uh, it includes our tobacco brothers in the Carolinas, Virginias, and Kentucky. Uh, and then, and then we need to make sure that that these payments go out in a timely fashion, because farmers are trying to work with their lenders to get through this uncertainty. Uh, and we've got a, a mountain of debt to climb out under, and farm incomes already at, at pretty low levels. Yeah. Now the projection was speaking of farm income that we were going to go up about six to eight percent from last year. This year, now of course that may or may not happen. Uh, although you throw sixteen billion dollars at the farm belt, that that changes the economics. And then if we still get uh, if weather you know is at least enough that we can get something in, and then if you throw some insurance money, so is it your is it your thought that we're going to still end up six to eight percent above last year? You know, I think you're exactly right. When you throw $16 billion into the pot, that changes things. Uh, when you think about the higher prices due to this, you know, historic weather event that, that we're experiencing, uh, it's it's really early to, to try to forecast what can happen. But I think folks that have a commodity to sell are going to be able to sell it at a higher price. The other thing to think about is, is the African swine fever in China. Uh, that's been a, a, a big boost to, to live hog, uh, lean hog prices. So all of that combined, you know, we could end up in a situation where uh, farm income is higher in 2019. Uh, unfortunately, that could be at, at the expense of uh, other other farmers' disasters that they've experienced. Yeah, that could be the case. But and then of course, there's some American taxpayer dollars. You know, if if on farm income, you know, ends up being what 60 billion dollars, and then you got 16 uh, of it that comes from uh, the taxpayers, that's that's a significant percentage of that. You have John, by the way, if you're listening and you're saying, wait a minute, who is this guy? He's John Newton. He's the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation, a smart dude. I'm, he's a friend of the show. He was back on episode 65 where we discussed the farm bill. Now, obviously, we're talking about trade, prevented planning, these ridiculous weather patterns that have got an entire uh, industry. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not understanding like it when it's this widespread. That's what's the crazy part. Uh, you've mentioned trade. And you've mentioned trade aid, and you talking about trade damaging things. Now, I have some in ag, that, and they, and, and, I'm, and I took my agricultural economics classes diligently, and I say, you know, trade uh, wars are not good for our industry, but trade uh, tariffs did not uh, create uh, this glut of soybeans. In other words, we have low prices because of supply, not because of trade spats your take john newton I, I i don't necessarily agree with that i think when you know let's let's rewind back to uh, planting in 2018 folks were looking for china to continue to be a, a big player in the u.s market they bought 60 percent of the soybeans uh, that we exported they walked away from the table almost entirely uh, and that left us holding the bag you know that was 90 million acres of soybeans so uh, I think it certainly had an impact on on prices there. Uh, a 450 corn price today should should have an $11 soybean price uh, sitting right next to it, and we're sitting at a $9 soybean price. That's because China's walked away from the market. I'll give you another example. Uh, China contracts directly with uh, tobacco growers in North Carolina. In 2019, they did not negotiate a single contract with those tobacco growers. And exports to China of tobacco. Uh, historically one of the largest markets uh, for tobacco, a big zero. So it's definitely had an impact on stocks, on their on their purchasing patterns, uh, and, and ultimately on farm income. They bought $10 billion less from us in 2018 than what they bought in 2017. 
I, I concur that China didn't buy that. Now, if it's a global marketplace, which you and I both know that it is, and China says, we're going to get our beans from Brazil, well, whoever Brazil is selling soybeans to now needs soybeans, so ours would go there. Your, your contention is that uh, supply, uh, we were oversupplied on soybeans, didn't uh, create the price problem? I think I mean, China didn't stop eating. Well, that's, that's not entirely true because China's hog herd has been decimated. Uh, so their demand for soybeans is going to fall due to that. Uh, but, but globally, in the export market, all the soybeans that are on boats traveling around the world, China bought 60% of those as well. So there's, you're right, other people did step up, but there's nobody with the appetite for soybeans like China to offset them walking out of the room. And, and I think they're able to uh, not have to rearrange global supply flows of soybeans because they're dealing with a, a really devastating African swine fever outbreak. Yeah, so that's that's as big of a thing as the trades back. By the way, I like that you disagree with me twice so far. Uh, I like that. I, I like that you're disagreeing with me. You know what? I might just I, <laughs> I might, might just not re- be invited back. <laughs> I don't know. What if I just start saying you're ugly or something like that? You know, what if we turn into a full blown fist fight here? Anyhow, <laughs> uh, here's my thought on the uh, the soybean thing. Uh, China can afford to uh, act uh, disinterested because they actually don't need the product because they have lost uh, a fourth of their hogs. You know, dead pigs don't eat. So it's easy to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's easy to turn turn down something that you actually didn't need in the first place. You don't think that's what's at play? Well, I, I think there's a lot of things at play. And, and one of the things that, that I think is really at play is, is the long game here. Uh, China doesn't have, uh, you know, term limits. Uh, they can really think strategically on what uh, goals are in, in terms of 50 to 100 years. Uh, and so I think they're willing to sacrifice in a variety of areas uh, to win what they perceive to be uh, the ultimate game and not what we're dealing with is uh, four-year terms or, or two years in the house. So we, we don't have the same luxury of, of strategizing for 10 or 15 years. So I think, yeah, they're, they're willing to take some, some losses in the battle uh, to ultimately win the war. And that's the art of war for you right there. Yeah, it is. And, they, and that has been mentioned before that they, they can play the long game. Uh, here's the thing. We are a very valuable customer to them. You know, we buy a lot of their crap. Uh, they need us as badly as we need them. And exactly. there really need to be a trade reset. Uh, if China came back and we all of a sudden have an agreement tomorrow, I don't think we still see $11 soybeans. And that's because there's still a ton of soybeans out there. I, well, I think two things could happen. One, uh, if China came back and, and we all sang kumbaya and act like everything uh, never happened, uh, then, then yeah, uh, they may not need as many because of, A, the African swine fever, uh, but, but we may not have as many because of the flooding. So I think, you know, the flooding that we're experiencing uh, this year uh, could really rebalance our ending stock levels uh, and, and get us back to $11, $12 beans in a hurry. Uh, except that if we do dry off just in time as mid-June and then we have the right kind of July and August and a bunch of corn acres switch to soybeans, then we end up with $7 soybeans. But, but folks may not switch if the relationship with China. So I, there's so much uncertainty uh, out there. And, and again, we're only 30% planted on soybeans. Uh, normally we're, we're 70% planted at this time. So uh, I think we've got a lot of eggs in a lot of different baskets, uh, hoping that a mother nature plays nice, uh, B that we get these trade situations resolved, uh, C that we get USMCA across the finish line, D that we get a disaster bill through, through Congress, uh, a lot of uncertainty in farm country. 
<laughs> you just did a tremendous wrap up of all this and you're saying a tremendous amount of uncertainty. I brought you in the expert, the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation to give us answers to all this uncertainty. And all you did was just outline it. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't give us the answer. You just said, Oh, here's all the things that we're uncertain about. Yeah. I wish I, you know, I wish I had the answers. I wish I knew uh, what the trade aid payments would be per County. Uh, no one knows that. I wish I knew, uh, how the secretary is going to interpret his authority under the disaster package. Uh, I wish I knew that China was going to come back to the plant. I mean, these are just, uh, I, I've been in agriculture for 15 years. I can't think of a time when every single issue that we've had to deal with is, is on the table and we haven't even touched immigration. No, we haven't. We haven't talked on that and we can, or you can just give me your predictions. Give me your predictions on all these things. I know that uh, you've got a call to get to, but before we do, okay, we'll, we'll do immigration, then we'll do predictions. Okay. What are we going to touch on in immigration? First off, agriculture needs, needs uh, migrant labor in a really bad way. And all the saber rattling and all the threats and all the build the walls and all that. I know that the, uh, the, the crops are still getting harvested and I know that the cows are still getting milked and the meat is still getting processed. So what gives? Well, I think, you know, immigration is a topic of conversation. Now it's folks are, are trying to put, see a path forward uh, here in Washington, DC on uh, getting a, you know, some sort of uh, program for agricultural workers. We're at the table. Uh, so that's all I can say is that we hope to see something happen. Uh, that, that makes some meaningful reform in agriculture. Uh, but but this, is, this has been something that folks have been trying to do for decades. Yeah, it is. Okay, closing out now, predictions. All right, all the stuff we talked about, I predict that we will still get the deal done with Mexico and Canada because it's vitally important. Uh, I predict that the tariff thing on Mexico will not happen, even though you said generally these things have happened when they were announced, uh, only because... Uh, we're going to we're going to uh, get that result. Uh, the China thing, it's going to take still longer than I thought. Uh, but also, that's easier for them to play tough on soybeans because dead pigs don't eat, and their pig herd is is shriveling. Uh, what else was our other prediction we need to make? Soybeans are going to be a glut, and we're going to have cheap soybeans because there's going to be a bunch of them to get planted, uh, and uh, that's that's my prediction. I think I think there's easily a scenario where all that can unfold. Uh, I, I think you're right. USMCA will get done. Uh, I think that we're we're closer to having China be a, a presidential topic in 2020 than than getting something done. Uh, it's really on the Chinese to come back to the table and and, and negotiate some of the things that uh, we had thought were were completed. So I think I think there's a way forward there. Uh, maybe after the president and meet at the G20 summit that, that they can come back to the negotiating table uh, and things can improve. So, you know, I could see a path where things improve. The thing I can't see is, is a glut of soybeans continuing. I, I think these weather delays are, are really going to continue to be a challenge. And, and I think that's going to do a lot to uh, clean out our stockpiles. Food shortages, food changes, food price, big, big pri food prices for the consumer. Uh, you know, in, in 2012, I think, you know, when we had when we had the drought, you know, you're going to see the supply chains adjust. I think the first thing that we usually forego is the export markets on, on corn because uh, we, we, you know, we have to meet uh, the demands for the ethanol and the livestock producers. So I think you're, you're going to see some rebalancing uh, if prices uh, do continue to, to move higher. Uh, ultimately, somebody's going to have to absorb that along the supply chain. It could be consumers. It could be retailers. I think we just have to wait and see. 
John Newton's the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He's a friend of the show. This is his second time on. You can go back and listen to his episode 65 if you're really bored and unable to do stuff. You also might pick up my book, Do Business Better. You know, I, I wrote this book. It came out uh, in April, and it's a fantastic book. You've got time. Uh, you got it on audiobook. You got it on Kindle. You got it on hard copy. Find it on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or at damianmason.com. John Newton, thanks for being on here. You got it. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Until next time, it's the business of agriculture.